0: Welcome to this week's episode of Uncovered for Pole Dancers, a podcast created by pole dancers for pole dancers. I'm your host, Stephanie Quinn. Today, we are joined by Jamila DeVille. Welcome to the podcast, Jamila. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be chatting with you, to learn a little bit more about pole history um, and a little bit more about you. So let's just dive in and just Give our listeners a little bit of background, like how did, how when, what, why did you start pole
1: dancing? <laughs> All the things. That's a, that's a million dollar question. <laughs> I totally randomly stumbled into pole. So I was one of the girls who discovered it when it was not accessible through studios. So I found it through a club, and I had trained dance through my whole childhood till I finished school. And then I went off and discovered the world for a few years, as as, uh, adventurous Aussie girls do. And then I got back to Australia and I set off on this journey of movement, but I didn't want to just do dance, even though I love dance in itself. And so I went to acrobatics. That was pretty hard on my body as an adult. So from there, I went to aerial training. So I was on, uh, let me see, static trapeze. Cordelis, which is the rope, Aerial Silk. And then pretty much around that time, I stumbled into a club and found Paul. Um, wow. I kind of uh, literally dared myself to walk into a club in Sydney and dared myself to have an interview with the manager as dared myself to actually sign up and start. And um, then I found this thing called a pole in there. <laughs> and I was like, hmm, I bet I could go upside down on that thing. <laughs> Oh, wow. You know what I did. <laughs> so at the time, it was not uh, a super popular thing to do because, you know, on stage, it's not that glamorous, as we all know, you get sweaty, it hurts. Um, yeah, so it's not, it's not super glamour doll sexy in reality. So there are only a few girls who really made the effort to learn anything, to train anything and to present much apart from a little booty wiggle on stage. Yeah. So, I ended up coming into the club when it was closed to get in that extra training because I would never do anything on stage that I wasn't 3000% sure of. Because the last thing you want to do on stage is fall on your butt and look like an idiot. (laughs)
0: Yeah,
1: I don't think that's helping. um, I don't think that's helping your cause. (laughs) Not really. So, yeah, that's how I found Paul. Wow. And
0: how long before, how long were you? working before you made the decision to go upside down like you said I bet I can go upside down on that thing was it a couple of days or did you have to get a little bit comfortable first I honestly have no idea again it's it's (laughs) it's
1: it's what year what year are
0: we talking here 2000 2000 okay yeah so it is look
1: that's a valid response to that question (laughs) 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 I, I really don't know I remember my first shift when they're like all right get out there you're on stage (laughs) yeah i don't i don't remember busting out any pole tricks on my first time on stage i can tell you that much for sure (laughs) i was admiring the goals because the goals at the clubs that i worked at were so to me they were so hypnotic and smooth and graceful and sensual so i was just kind of taking it all in because you know that's how you learn is on the fly yeah,
0: 100%. So from there, how did you transition? So 2000, I mean, the first, when did Bobby's open? I think that was like, it's, I should know this. I should have my history lesson. There's the
1: soft opening, which is the Xanadu that Shelley talked about. Yes. So it's kind of like the soft opening where we had this little room, painted it pink, put up some curtains and two poles and started running classes just to see what would happen. Yep. And then that went crazy. So then Bobby's Open, I want to say it was around the beginning of 2004. I could be wrong. But yeah, I think so you were a part of Xanadus. Yeah, oh yeah. Bobby and I used to dance together. We used to do double choreographed pole shows in the clubs.
0: Ah, oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't yeah. know this. That's amazing. Okay, so yeah, when okay I, let's,
1: let's dive into this for a second. <laughs> <laughs> so when I said that I used to go into the club when it was closed to train, Bobby used to do the same thing. And eventually she and I kind of eyed each other off like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Because none of the other girls ever really made that kind of an effort. And then eventually we chatted and then we ended up deciding to put um, choreographed routines together. So we had custom costumes like top hat and tails and the whole thing, totally choreographed, three songs, um, and we presented them to the clubs. Like we literally just said to the clubs we're coming in. (laughs) <laughs> and they booked us um yeah. yeah so it and when Bobby's uh pole studio kicked off instead of becoming really popular the girls used to come down on a Saturday night um with me and Bobby to the club sometimes there'd be more girls than guys in the club <laughs> to watch us do our show <laughs> oh <laughs> that's great.
0: amazing that yeah. is so good mm-hmm. um so were you one of the original instructors yes yeah <laughs> okay so you are definitely uh an OG for sure. I knew this already, yeah. but like definitely. Uh-huh. And so, what was the scene like back then? Like the pole scene. How or would the strip you explain? The or... Let's go pole scene.
1: Okay, so pole scene was totally in its infancy. So, uh, men's gallery, which was their main club there that we worked at, mm. asked Bobby originally to teach some outside ladies, like regular ladies right before the club started, I think I've got to these facts straight. So if I get fact checked, it's okay. But I think it was like (laughs) something like 5 p.m. you know, on a weekday afternoon. So when people were getting out of work, but before the club opened and they would have like a one hour lesson for regular ladies. And Bobby was the first one they asked to teach it. And then the next time around, they decided to run it again. And they asked myself to teach as well. So Bobby and I had both had this experience of teaching outside ladies. And we kind of got the impression that it was going to be, you know, that it was pretty popular and it could grow. And so Bobby's husband, who I think um, he had a real estate franchise, so he kind of came in on the conversation as well, because he had that business expertise. And that's where the idea for creating Bobby's Pulse Studio was born. And so, yeah, so I just remember strutting around that studio because you know when you're when you're a dancer you're totally desensitized to it. you don't care what you're wearing. You're just kind of like strutting it out and whatever. And we're in our little boy shorts, boy pants, whatever you call them, and our heels and our little top and just kind of strutting around the studio teaching classes. And I just remember the look on the faces of these women who'd come to us for the first time from <laughs> the normal world. Just like, what is this place? But they really what do liked I get it. <laughs> What yeah, is it? This?
0: yeah but I think when you say like but they really liked it when you talk about before um in the club and the girl looking at the women and being hypnotized and thinking they're so sensual mm-hmm. I mean I think a lot of women have that experience and they and then when they walk into a pole dancing studio they see a very similar thing and that's what makes them go well look at that I get a lot of comments like, "Oh my god, there's some, the women in here have so much confidence. Like, yeah. regardless, like of their body shape, size, um, background, heritage, the, they're just rocking around in booty shorts." I'm like, "Yeah, that's what Paul does, right?" Um, yeah. Did you
1: ever think this is where Paul was going to be? We well, I I don't I can't speak for anyone else, but I wasn't making any assumptions about anything. I just. I thought it was fantastic because I had such a love for Paul. I loved it just for itself, like com- even completely separate from the whole club environment. Yeah. And I had a real passion for it already. And I just love that so many other women were on the same vibe.
0: Yeah. And I find it, um, I just looked back down at my notes I wrote before, I find it interesting that the club was already that you were working in already started to see this to go, can you guys teach classes to outside people? Was that happening regular? Like, were
1: there many clubs doing that? Or were they unique in that? No, that's the only one that I heard of doing it. And I believe yeah. they only did it a couple of times.
0: Because, yeah, you know, ultimately, okay,
1: just... a club is a, a club for the guys, you know.
0: Yeah. And it's a is. whole
1: different, like, let's, I
0: mean, from a business perspective, it's a whole different target market. Exactly, and you've got to do a lot of different things for that to happen. Yeah. Um, so early days of Bobby's, it obviously grew quite quickly, and then Miss Pole Dance Australia was born. Mm-hmm. Where did that concept come from? If you remember
1: any of that, like, yeah. Let me dive stuff. again into my memory into bank. The ether. <laughs> yeah, uh, I do believe that there was a Miss Pole Dance. I want to say world. Again, I could be wrong, but it was run by a completely different person, completely different country. Um, I think it might have been – Do you, have you ever heard of John Benner? No. Oh, well, let me tell you a few stories about that, gentleman. Okay. So I believe <laughs> – I could be wrong, but I think he was the original person running this thing that he called Miss Paul Dance World, even though when he ran it, I really don't think it was actually open to the whole world. It was just kind of a name that he gave to a comp that he ran – Somewhere, I think he was European he could have been Dutch but um okay so I think that was the first time that the name was used and then Bobby's created Miss Pole Dance Australia um yeah so I think that's where it came from and that was 2005
0: yeah and you were the first winner of Miss Pole
1: Dance I was Australia wow mm-hmm. what a um what a title to have I mean, it blew my mind. I'd been competing for a few years in the exotic dance industry because, to be honest, I'm not the world's best hustler. I'm really not. (laughs) Sales is not my forte, but performing is. I love performing, and I realized that pretty quickly. I love being on stage. I knew that that was my place, and so that's why I started spending a lot of time training pole and really honing in on an act or two, and then any competition that came up in the exotic dance industry, I was jumping on all of that. And so then when Miss Coldens yeah. came around, I was like, oh, yeah, this is great. <laughs> I love this. This is my jam. And because um, I know when we were talking to Kanetta, she was
0: saying that there was a lot of competitions um, in the exotic dance industry and she used a lot of that skill to bring across. And she's like, little did I know how much I would actually need to use this stuff. Um, so yeah. what were the competitions like in the exotic dance industry? Were they on the pole or were they more a um, a dance element?
1: For the most part, they were a show-judged uh, event. There was one that I remember, actually Maxie Shield, everyone knows Maxie Shield, hosted, and that's how I met Maxie and I connected Maxie with Bobby's and that's how Maxie ended up hosting for Bobby's. That's a whole other story. King's Cross, Sydney, this would have been about and three or something like that. And I heard about a um, some random bar in King's Cross running a poll, a specifically poll event. And I was like, oh yeah, that's me. And I ran down there, middle of the night, you know, I had a bag with my costume in it, ripped out the costume, threw it on. And as it turned out, at that time, 2003, when you say pole, it just means like generally strip, sexy stage routine, and so the other girls who showed up were not specifically pole trained athletes. You know, they were yeah. girls who wanted to dance into a competition. So I won, <laughs> <laughs> and I got a tiara. That was pole I mean... <laughs> <title>. <laughs> well, love hilarious. it. Hilarious. So um, yeah, that's that's how Maxi Shield came into the fold into <laughs> the family. Yeah, okay, well there yeah. you go. <laughs> We're right? putting all these pieces. I'm going to have to like
0: pull the Chili episode, the Kaneta episode, and the 40 episode with this and like connect some dots and make a little bit of a timeline. This is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Miss Pole Dance Australia, the routines used to be very long from what I hear like five, seven minutes long.
1: Mm-hmm. Was that
0: correct for your routine? I have no
1: idea. I think I used two songs um, yeah. cut together. But yeah, I mean, when we were showgirls in Sydney, we were doing either ten or fifteen minute routines regularly. Like you guys must have been really fit.
0: (laughs) I'm like, I think about now, yeah. Like our amateurs do what two and a half minutes in a lot of competitions um, in Brisbane or in Australia. Amateurs are doing two and a half minutes, and they're dying at the end of those two and a half minutes. And then you add three of that on top.
1: Yeah, how we've
0: transitioned.
1: It is, but th- I have to say back then it was a show, so it wasn't like paltry, paltry, paltry. It was like come out, character, take some excess baggage off costume-wise, <laughs> do a little bit of pole, take something else off, and then really get into the pole stuff.
0: Was um, 2005 the only year you did Miss Pole
1: Dance? Yes. Australia? Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: So you yeah, took it out and you're like, good, got it, <laughs> let's go. yeah.
1: Yeah, it was, love it. It was a great experience but
0: yeah. You are obviously in the pole world very known for and given how early um, in the industry you were you're very known for the creation of quite a few popular moves. Um, the Jamila, the Jade, the Deville. How did they how I mean there was obviously zero structure to begin with. How did these come about like how did you know that when you were doing these movements on the pole that they were going to be staples in the inner a curriculum of a pole you probably didn't but how did I they didn't. come up
1: <laughs> yeah. I had no idea like, seriously <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea no um when we started Bobby's, and I can't remember if this was in the actual castle ray street studio or if it was in the Xanadu beforehand I just remember one saturday afternoon there was a bunch of us you know me bobby candace the NASA, I guess, laying on our bellies on the floor, basically with a piece of paper and a pen or pencil each. And we were about to create the structure for the first curriculum. And we <sighs> said, well, okay, there's all these moves. We have to devise which one's beginner, which one's intermediate, which one's advanced. What are the names of all these things? Cause there were zero names. It was just like, <laughs> you know, this thing that you do like this with your knees like this. Um, and we literally came up with a first round of poll names like that. And so just on the floor with a pen and paper, just, you know, having a little group sesh and some of the moves became very obviously designated, like, you know, invert, whatever, or leg hook, whatever. And then we had all these moves left over and we were like, we're coming up with more creative names, I guess. So they weren't as descriptive. Um, And we each had one move pretty much that was our little signature Thing that we did all the time that we brought to the table and so each of those moves got a name so there was the Vanessa the Candace, the Jamila and the Bobby ah and that's the Jamila and that's where the Jamila was born yeah.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so I love so you're talking about curriculum here and I know this is a huge discussion in the whole world right now to go oh a jade split used to- I remember when a jade split was an advanced trick what were the advanced tricks like or what what types of tricks that we see today were you putting into an advanced curriculum? <sighs> sure Sorry, not. I know I didn't prep <laughs> you for this question at no, all. No, it's,
1: it's a good question. I've, I'll give you the best answer I can. And, again, like any of these things that I'm saying, they're, they're way back, so if anybody wants to fact check me, please go right ahead. Um, I'm thinking shoulder mounts, um, yeah. butterfly slash extended butterfly, um, jade split. Once it happened, then it became um, the advanced. Oh my gosh, what else? I don't even know what else was on that list. Would like it was an kind of invert,
0: an invert would have been like the intermediate space, I would assume. And like, like hooks, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. And now we've got um, people. I remember I did something on uh, TikTok a while ago and it was like, why are inverts so hard? And the response was, they're not hard. They're beginner tricks. We learned this in our first <laughs> class. And I'm like, what? anxiety. <laughs> I'm, like, oh. I'm like, okay, yeah. well, they're actually quite a complex movement, but cool. Like as long as you're not injuring yourself, like that's
1: yeah." That's I still you teach you inverts. Be? Yeah. I still teach those movements as intermediate. I, yeah. I let my beginner students enjoy beginners, you know, and I gradually yeah. build up that strength.
0: Yes. So you're still teaching today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what are we, like 20 years of teaching almost? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. How have you found the change in, I know we were diving into your tricks, but I'm really intrigued by this. How do you, have you found like the change in beginners over the years? Have you found that they're coming in stronger? Have you found that um, they're now more open? to doing, to learning pole? Like have you, or is it the same?
1: You know, in Australia, way back at the very beginning, I pretty much had the experience of those beginners being very open, like totally terrified, you know, and intimidated and all those (laughs) things. But, you know, they're there for a reason and they got as far as coming to the studio because they were open to finding out more about what is this thing and I feel like maybe Mm -hmm. I'm going to like it and then they, you know, mostly end up getting extremely addicted to it. And the same thing happens now, although, um, the most of my teaching here is in Vegas and in Vegas, you get this real mix of just regular, you know, mums, students, professionals, like regular people. And then you've got a bunch of high level performers who are in the shows on the strip who come in to train with me as well. And. You know, every now and then I'll have them rock up for a beginner class and they are already an aerialist or a very, very high level dancer or something like that. And they come in and they just pick everything up so quickly. So, but that's
0: fun. Yeah. They're not the the norm, I guess. They've already got the skills and the body awareness and you can obviously put them where you need to put them. Um, right. Quickly diving back into the tricks. Did you ever showcase any of these tricks in performances? Like, you know i'm just using this as an example but like like miss pole dance australia was it ever a time where i know felix kane that's where she presented like the spatchcock was Mm -hmm. there ever a time that you did that with your tricks
1: the jade which i at the time i called the deville so it's kind of got multiple names now but that (laughs) one was i did it for the first time at miss pole dance australia
0: 2005 yeah wow Mm -hmm. and how was that received
1: Oh, it was like the grand finale move, like the final move of the routine. And I remember it being a packed house. I think it was like a 500 capacity in this place in in the cross, of course. And it was full, like standing room only. And everyone just went crazy um, right then. So it was a good moment.
0: Yeah. What an experience to have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Do people, so one of the questions I asked from a listener was when you teach the Jamila or the Jade or the Deville, do people know that they're tricks that you created?
1: Uh, well, when I call a move the Jamila, people are like, hang on a second, isn't your name Jamila? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't I don't stop for a history lesson. If people ask yeah. me, I'll, I'll tell them. But other than that, a lot of people learn those moves from me probably who don't realise. Yeah. And somebody else asked, what are your top tips for a Jamila? Do they mean the like the Jamila diagonal Jamila or the Jade split?
0: The Jamila Sometimes diagonal Jamila. The, the diagonal split grip.
1: Okay, okay. So my best tips for that: number one is that the bottom hand is um, usually the problem is the bottom hand's too high, so you get that bend in the wrist with weight on it, which is horrible for your forearm and wrist. Mm-hmm. So you want to always slide that hand lower than you think. Keep the wrist open, um, and then the other thing is that you want to get that pole as high as you can on your hip so that it's close to your center. Um, and the best way to get the legs up is to lean back. There you go. And keep your shoulders. Love open. it.
0: Jamila tips from Jamila. This is <laughs> great. <laughs> Whoever thought. Um, so you've been pole dancing for a very long time. How has your mm-hmm. journey gone from uh, looking after your body? And you've obviously got a lot of experience as a dancer. So I assume some of that stuff is carried across. But how have you been able to Manage looking after your body while teaching, performing, and still working on your own pole journey.
1: Yeah, it's it's been incredible because I would say in my teenage years, like way back, um, there was definitely, and I think this is true for a lot of girls, a very dysfunctional relationship with my body, with food and all that kind of stuff, you know, hormones, emotions, whatever, drama. Um, and so it's been this amazing journey from there to choosing to be involved in physical disciplines that forced me to confront my body every day and learning how to take care of it. And now lately, one of the pieces of the puzzle that's come into place has been the nutrition, which I never had bad nutrition as a pole dancer, but I just didn't have the awareness of the best way to fuel my body. And now I'm learning all of that and it's blowing my mind. Um, and I, I'm so happy about that because now I have that to share as well as a coach. Um, so, yeah, the nutrition's a big part of it. The rest and recovery is a big part of it. Overtraining is something, you know, we butt our heads constantly against overtraining and we're like, hold back, come on.
0: <laughs> we just get so excited. We're
1: like, oh, yeah. I can just like go and work on this thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't need a day off. But yeah, we need a day no. off. We need two days off, you know.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um mm. how has nutrition helped? Like what have you found has been some of those key drivers for you with nutrition?
1: Yeah. So, first of all, each to their own. So, I'm not, you know, I'm not telling anyone else what's right or wrong, but what I have mm. learned along the way, I was vegetarian for a few years in my 20s. Um thought it was like the healthier way to be, but then when I started training uh, more heavily, my body started craving more nutrition, actually more protein than what it was getting. And the last few years, I've actually dug into some research with doctors and scientists that I've been able to reach out to. And now what I'm learning is um, about the most, let me see, how would I put this? The most um, nutritionally dense food available to us, which is animal food. So it's like the opposite of what I was doing as a vegetarian and I always grew up with this belief that as long as you eat your fruits and vegetables you'll be good um but the missing piece of the puzzle was that when you're young you have obviously a lot more of the hormones and the things that are going to keep you um healthy so a kid can eat whatever and they're still mm. going to grow right they're still going to grow and be able to jump around run around all that kind of stuff But as you get older and older and older, it gets harder and harder for your body to get the nutrition that it needs from the food that you're eating. And the most important macronutrient that's being neglected, especially with the um, poor quality food information that we're getting from authorities these days, um, it's about protein. And the highest quality protein that you can get is animal protein. That's just the reality of what it is. Um, And as soon as I altered my diet that way, um, I recovered better. I felt healthier. Um, Everything improved. My sleep improved. My mood improved. Like everything just got better.
0: Yeah, interesting.
1: Yeah. So you can get away with it. You know, I'm lucky I did the vegetarian thing in my 20s because you can bounce back from that pretty well, even if you're not getting Mm. everything that you need. But then as you get into your 30s and older, it's really important that you start preparing because the older you get, the harder it gets. Um, And one of the big problems that we see with the older, like really older generations, the elderly is um, loss of muscle. And then they take a fall and then, you know, they're stuck. That's it. They're bedridden.
0: Yeah, I'm going through quite a journey in recovery um, just for just looking after my body. And like you definitely thrash it in pole. And I had that experience of overtraining and doing 15 hours a week of pollen that was just so, between teaching and training, and let's be real, there was definitely times where you were just laying on the floor instead of training <laughs> right? because you were, you're pondering um, your pollen yes. journey and your life. Um, so yeah, it wasn't necessarily full well, 15 hours, but it was so unnecessary for my body. So, and now a couple of years later, it's definitely, I, I have to go through that and bounce back from it effectively. So mm-hmm. um, we've covered so much today, Jamila. I really appreciate jumping in and diving in. Is there anything like you want to share about the pole world, the history, or just anything else that you want to share with our listeners? Oh my gosh.
1: I feel like there's so many things that I would ramble <laughs> on for hours. <laughs> I have so much. Um, well, I have my of pole DVDs and, um, Oh yeah. We didn't even touch on your DVDs. Yeah. So they, yeah. they come out of, um, way back when, but yeah. we put everything that we had into the production of those. So even though they were shot a while back, it's a very high production value for the time. Um uh, very well produced. I was really proud of the technical work that went into you know um wrapping them and everything and, and editing and all that kind of stuff and um they came out of a time where there were very enthusiastic people in our industry, but there weren't very many people who really had much fitness understanding or dance background or anything like that, which is kind of pole enthusiasts and so I created the series and I had that circus slash dance background to explain warm ups and cooldowns and conditioning and technically describing moves and their lines of the body and safety and things like that um and so they they went crazy at the time and we were selling them like literal physical dvds back in the way back um, yeah it's gonna be like what year do we
0: think this is this would have been like late 2000s
1: yeah so the, the first first two or three we shot in 2007 Okay, And then we, there's actually a series of eight, which is now, there's only seven of them available. So it's five, which are beginner to advanced, one through five. And then the other two volumes are called pole routines. Oh my gosh. I'm pretty sure it's the, yeah, it's pole routines though. It's choreographed pole routines with warm ups and cool downs and stuff. So there's seven in the series and they were originally physical DVDs. Um, together they're called the art of pole collection. And they are now only available from expolus.com. So if you go to expol TV, you'll be able to find them um, online, which is yeah, fantastic. Wow. And actually, expol yes. just told me today that they have an app um, connected with expol TV that's actually just been launched. So that's exciting.
0: Yeah. So you can go uh, learn some of the um, – go learn with Jamila from wherever. That's amazing. Yeah. I I have a question. How many of those moves do we not see anymore, do you think? Or are they all still moves you see within Dance, in within Pulse Studios at the moment?
1: Yeah. I think some of the names have like, you know, woo funny <laughs> whispers. So the names yep. may not all be the same, but I'm, hmm, I don't, I can't think of any of them that yeah. have disappeared in the ether, but Yeah, we definitely go through waves and trends with moves, don't we?
0: We do. And one of the things I'm seeing at the moment, um, definitely within my studio, and I would say within like the local industry, is the focus on dance
1: Mm -hmm.
0: is becoming a big thing. I don't know if you guys have it in the US, but there's a lot of heels classes um, popping up recently in Australia. And that trend is, I guess, coming across into our studio and people. Want to dance? So mm-hmm. yeah, I have to have choreo classes every night. <laughs> so people, can do it. yeah, because it's um, and definitely the more central style is something I'm seeing a high demand for as well. That and That's, the hard style stuff. What's the central style? Oh, like central, like stripper style. Oh, sensual. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, sensual. It. Sorry, yeah, probably gotcha. my accent. <laughs> Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Yeah, Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. We just like everything (laughs) blends together, right? Um, So, yeah, they're definitely the stuff that I'm seeing more women gravitate Mm -hmm. towards.
1: And I remember
0: when we started, we were literally, because it's um, our studio's 10th birthday this year, and we were going back through old photos. And, man, we used to wear a lot of clothing. (laughs) (laughs) In <laughs> <Right>. to <today. laughs> the yeah. bad kitty stuff and like the pants that they had um yes and yeah there were just people were in more boy-like shorts like you were talking about before in the boy leg shorts whereas now like there's so much booty out all the time which is great yeah but yeah it's yeah. funny how we've transitioned to already thinking we don't wear a lot of clothing yeah to wearing even less.
1: Yeah, right. Like 10 years ago, our butt cheeks were covered, but we still thought we were being really, really racy. And then yes. 10 years later, it's like, there's nothing on those butt cheeks anymore. <laughs> nothing. Literally
0: girls coming in in G-strings and and dogs and rocking it. I remember one of my neighbors came out to me uh, at the studio and was like, oh, your girls are leaving in G-strings. I'm like, G-strings? This is a couple of years ago. And I didn't really have anyone who wore G-strings in the studio. I'm like, really? And she's like, yeah, just tell them it's a commercial place. Like they, and she's quite conservative. Um, and I'm like, she was just wearing her booty shorts, like her normal booty shorts, but to an outsider, it looked like a G string. So, uh, but now I definitely have girls who rock up and they're just in their thong and they're doing their thing. And I love it. Yeah. Great. Um, well, thank you so much for your time and giving us a little history lesson. I think this would probably be the closest we would get to understanding the creation of Bobbies as well. So that was really amazing to have that insight. Mm-hmm. I didn't realise when I was doing my research into you um, that you were one of the original people who started um, with her. So that was really amazing to mm-hmm. hear and to share. Um, so if people want to look you up, where can they find you?
1: Uh, let me see. My website is jamilla.com.au. Uh, and then on Instagram, that's probably the uh, social media that I use the most. So that's just yeah. at jamilla, nice and easy. And nice then and Jamilla easy. Deville on Facebook. Yeah, beautiful,
0: guys. If you love this episode, um, please take a screenshot and share it. Um, we'll be talking history lessons on the um, I can't get my words right. <laughs> We'll be talking all things history this week on the social media. So jump on. If there's any questions we missed, maybe we can throw some through to Jamila um to help get answered if she's up for it. I Please just threw do. her on the sp- yes. i like, I just threw her on the spot just then. Um and anyway, until next time, we will see you soon.
1: Bye.